podcast listeners i'm excited that you tuned in and for the ones of you that listened in the last couple of weeks you already know that we have a special cooperation going on at the moment with the wonderful future of leadership salon future of leadership salon is a very special format bringing together 60 people from all over the world to talk about the future of leadership and i had the pleasure to already interview a couple of people that are coming as thought provokers this year or that have already participated in the Future of Leadership Salon. We started out with Stefan, who told us about leadership and the essentials of building strong relationships. Then we talked to Achim last week, who has a very interesting background. Actually, he was a theater coach and now he ventured into coaching very high-level C-suite leaders of Fortune 500 companies. And he shared what he learned from acting coaching to leadership coaching. And this week, I talked to Paul also a very interesting conversation Paul built and very interesting company 15 years ago he will tell us more about it it's built on a complete different model and he talked about what he learned from building this company how they actually work in a very different way and what he learned from what we need for the future of work and for the future of leadership from this experience You see, I interviewed three guys so far and in a couple of weeks I will be at the Future of Leadership Salon. I will bring you a couple of interviews from female leaders that I will record at the Future of Leadership Salon itself. But first of all, with no further ado, here is Paul for you talking about the future of leadership and his great insights and learnings from building his own. I'm very excited to welcome you, Paul, to this third episode in cooperation with the Future of Leadership Salon, the third episode in which we're talking about the future of leadership. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rona. Great to meet you. Yeah, great to, to meet you um, here online for a little recording and uh, maybe you can start off. So I'm actually learning a little bit more about you as well as our listeners. If you could um, briefly introduce yourself and maybe already give us an an outlook on um, yeah, what your career, what your work has to do with leadership, how you have experienced leadership and yeah, what you're actually doing. So I am the one of the co-founders of a company called The Ludic Group based in, in London but working all over the world. Uh, the Ludic Group is all about shifting the way people live, learn and work. Mm -hmm. um, And we focus in, in on consulting, mm -hmm. uh, on decision-making, on how people are engaged in the work they do and on learning. We focus in on creative mm -hmm. uh, and we focus on software. So we are building tools and platforms that help engage and shift in the way people work together. Oh, wow. Cool. So you um, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about the tools? What exactly are you doing? Is it learning platforms? Or what, what exactly is it? So um, back when we I'll go back in history a little bit. Mm -hmm. first. So when um, when we first started in, in Ludic, we were known for how to work with large teams, 100, 100, 200 people mm -hmm. um, and getting them to work together in an, in an experience where they could very rapidly make decisions, learn together, uh, and put plans into action. Um, and it worked very well 
but the problem was it was in a, a, a workshop environment. So we mm-hmm. had to bring people physically together to do so. So we learned very well how to get people to work together face to face. But then we had sort of two problems happened. One is that we realized quite quickly that whilst people have a great experience when they come together and work face to face, after the sessions, there was like a cliff edge. Mm-hmm. There was no bridge back into the work that they were doing in the real world. And mm-hmm. then sometimes some of the things that they enthusiastically agreed to um, get done didn't get done. Mm-hmm. The second thing that happened, now bear in mind this was sort of mid-2000s, we started in 2004, um, was in 2008 the iPhone came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that sort of changed everything. Um, or certainly it's a point that we, we would say changed everything because um, it was the start of people not needing to go into an office to work mm. and really being able to work wherever they wanted to. Um, and so we recognized that if we were going to still be in the um, face-to-face facilitation business, um, we may not have a business uh, in the years to come. And so we were researching and investing in platforms that allowed us to take that same experience of how people uh, work and learn um, and make decisions when they're together and do that online. Mm. So to answer your question, what does the platform do? The platforms that we are um, that we've been building essentially take uh, large groups of people, no matter where they are, um, through a program or through a journey. Um, whether it's around how they make decisions, whether it's about how they engage their entire organisation in the changes they need to make, or about um, learning, training, coaching, and upskilling people so they're ready to adopt. Um, change your work in a new way mm-hmm. so it's an end-to-end um, transformation platform if mm-hmm. you wish and it's the first company you ever founded the ludic group uh it, it is the first company yeah. um but it's 15 years ago it's 15 um, years ago so it was the first one was very successful how many employees do you lead today we have there's around 50 people full-time mm-hmm. um and then we have a very interesting model because um we set up originally to be a, a different way of working that mm. was the ethos that our, my personal mission around ludic was that there's got to be a better way of working mm. having to go into an office every day and having to stick to a rigid nine to five or nine to seven or nine to nine mm. um schedule so we designed ludic to be entirely virtual mm. <clears throat> people can work um wherever they want from whenever they want around the world mm-hmm. it means we're able to work with people who are at the start of their career even towards the end of their career experts who've got 30 40 50 years in particular topics um, bring them together uh, to work with us on projects on terms that essentially suit them while we have a core team of 50 people around the world we have three four hundred uh, people across creative and our um, expert faculty That work together with us on all kinds of different projects. Mm. So it was the first company you ever set up. It was successful. It, I mean, obviously, it's still there almost 15 years later. And um, what was there? Was there one particular challenge that you faced as a, as a co-founder, as the first first time setting up a business, also as a leader with a new vision? We were very fortunate when we set up the the company originally because mm-hmm. we had what all new all come. All new companies need, which is clients. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we um, we straight away, uh, yeah, had had work and were able to test our ideas out in the real world. Mm. 
uh, and survive essentially. So mm-hmm. getting through the, that first year or so. I think the main challenges that, that we faced really has been sort of as we've grown a result of the model that we've decided to do. Mm-hmm. So this advantage of being a completely virtual organization is that you don't get to see everybody every day. Mm-hmm. So leading an organization like that, if you set out with a culture that it's going to be flexible, it's going to be on people's own terms, um, they need to just bring their creativity and their professionalism into work every day as it grows, maintaining that when you can't see everybody face to face mm. every day is a challenge. And particularly when you're a young company mm. and you're trying to sort of lay down that ethos or implant it, I suppose, in your culture um, mm. as it grows. And do you see over the last 15 years, have you seen a change? Because I mean, I'm of course also in this Berlin startup bubble, let's say, yeah, where every everyone always works everywhere and things have become very flexible. But I still, of course, there's still people, you know, that go somewhere nine to five and they sit there because they're supposed to sit there for that time window and no matter what they have to do or not, not, not really. So is it, did you see over the last 15 years a change as well that people are more interested in these kind of work environment um, work environments was it different in the beginning when you started to even explain to people what you what your vision was how how has it changed absolutely i think um when as you say when we started 15 years ago it would have been pretty unusual mm. you know outside of um, a tech bubble um mm. to be to be um to be in a completely virtual flexible company um particularly when our Customers are mostly multinational blue chip mm. organizations who have the opposite of that, mm. actually. Um, but over time, the things that they've wanted to learn from us are the ways that, that we work. Mm. Because I think what they've realized is that um, people vote with their feet. Mm. So as their employees, as their associates, see that there are more alternatives mm. um, to, to, to that way of working they have to adopt them otherwise they're going to lose them mm. of course there will always be uh, roles and work where the nature of the work defines the structure of the day or the the environment in which people are working in um, but more and more and more um, organizations offer flexibility when they can mm. so you know i i certainly notice for example even here in london on fridays There's a lot less traffic and people on the transport systems mm. <laughs> um, than there is every other day of the week, mm. which presumably is um, people more and more choosing to work from home on a Friday. Mm. And what have you, you, you briefly mentioned, of course, the difficulties well of not always seeing everyone in person and it's a different sort of work when you work flexibly online, you have to adapt to that. How did you manage to do that with your stuff? Was Were there like one or two key things where you would say that really helped us to also grow together as a team, even though we work all remotely and flexibly? There's some practical things and there's some cultural things. So mm -hmm. certainly we make sure that, I mean, when you work virtually with people, you basically have a, the, our main economy is trust. Mm. So if, if we trust the people that we work, that they are basically going to do the work we ask them to do, focused on outcomes, and do it in the way that is at their best ability and mm. what essentially our clients need. So we work really hard on that. Mm -hmm. um, we also work hard on making it easy to, for people to work together. Mm. So 
tools that make each other's work visible for each other, mm. tools that make it easy for people to understand and know where they are in the journey, in mm. the project, who's doing what, um, how their work um, connects with other people's work. Mm. These things, and, and large organisations, even when their staff are working in offices, suffer from the same problem when they've got programmes running across multiple time zones. Knowing where you are in a process um, actually slows things down and causes a lack of alignment and miscommunication. Mm. So we work really hard to make it visible, the work that people are doing. And again, you can do that very easily through through software tools. I think mm. the other thing that we would say is that constantly looking for ways to bring people together. Mm. So even if they are working flexibly, design moments and experiences where people can come together and connect because I think no matter what type of uh, organisation you make, it is about bringing people together and bringing, um, building a community, mm. essentially, that people who know each other can trust each other and work together. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that, sharing these insights. And I think there were already, um, from, from my perspective as a, as a leader of that company, a lot of, a lot of highlights, a lot of achievements. Maybe could you yourself share what you would say was one of the highlights for yourself as a leader and maybe as well a low light in your career as a leader if, if you look back on um, one or two events? I guess as somebody running an organization that I've designed to be flexible and some, something that is a better way of working mm. at its heart, um, mm. I always see it as a, a, a personal low light mm. if at some point somebody says to me, actually, Paul, I'm going to resign. Mm. And in the 15 years we've had, we've, I think, had less than five people wow. resign. Um, so we have incredibly good retention, mm. but every now and again, for whatever reason, could be yeah. personal reason, or we just got it wrong, mm. uh, somebody left. And it always makes me then look again at our model mm. and are we doing enough to connect people? Are we doing enough to invest in their own growth? Are we mm. doing enough to um, give them work that is interesting and creative and um, and challenging? Uh, so in some ways it's it's good because it, it forces us not to become complacent yeah, yeah. but five but people in, I yeah. take very personally but five people in 15 years that's pretty incredible I guess that's the retention rate a lot of companies can only dream of so well, it's you, of, and I think it's you must be doing something right yeah well, I think the ethos is people get to design work around their lives so often people say to to me when they're talking about our work is that wow such a company exists yeah. <laughs> like, really can work in this way yeah. Uh, yeah yeah wow no amazing and i mean that's the way it should be as well right in these days with technology and access we have to things why can't it be like that right like so it's um yeah something i'm often wondering about why we still do sometimes things in a way that's inefficient that doesn't make us happy if we really especially here in the countries we live and work and we have the opportunity to do it differently you know What what do you, what would you say? Which challenges do you see right now? Leaders are facing when we look on a global, more global view. If I think first about leaders of of larger organisations who are typically the ones that I most interact with in my work, mm -hmm. um, there's there's been a huge shift how leaders can lead in terms of mm. 
the the old the old fashioned pyramid mm. command and control style leadership is just completely broken. As I would say, there's been a, a shift in in the way leaders lead from being not even from top down to bottom up, but just a, a radically different approach is required. Mm. So these these old stars don't work anymore. Clearly, digital has has, has impacted that, and through that. Um, people's expectations have changed. Mm. Uh, there are many things that leaders can do differently, mm. uh, but what they certainly can't do is they can't lead by command and control and mm. authority. Organisations are now so much m- more fluid and interconnected that one person trying to control that in such a way is, is definitely doomed to fail mm. as well. And do you think through this, so this change that we can't lead by command and control anymore, that through that maybe leaders can also have a positive impact on society? Like, that, like for example, what you did with your company, the, the way you set it up, the, the impact that can has, have on society, which impact do you think leaders can have on society through their behavior, through their actions? Absolutely. So what, what does work if you think that the, the organizations are becoming unbossed Mm. You know, the, the, the we're stripping out layers of leadership and mm. <clears throat> and management so that um, genuinely the, you know, anybody in an organization can influence because they're connected to information and knowledge almost as much as everybody else. The, mm. the, somebody working in a very administrative role might have a, as much information as somebody sitting on the board. So you shift organizations like that is through nudging. And through influencing it, you, you can see like who are the who are some of the biggest influencers. Let's say you look at one of the social media platforms. Mm. Who are the biggest influencers in the social media platforms? Well, it's um, it's individuals who are clearly sports stars, pop stars, Cristiano Ronaldo, Ariana Grande, Selena Gomez. Mm. Um, these people have hundreds of millions of people who they influence mm. every day. How do they influence them? By being a role model. And, in, and and sharing their life and the way they're working with mm. people. Interestingly, though, um, if you look at influencers, influencers can be companies. So mm. Nike mm. is a huge influencer. Um, National Geographic mm. is an influencer. These sorts of organizations have a, a big responsibility mm. because they, have, they do have the power to shape and nudge and influence at the individual level and therefore at a societal level and how people are living and working. Mm. Um, And, that will and consuming, much- right? I mean, that's of course yeah. something that comes to my mind as well. Yeah, yeah, and in much that that sort of that will move much faster than any messaging or uh, direction from a traditional leadership model in terms mm-hmm. of like giving out instructions. This is how we're going to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, we're already doing something else because mm-hmm. we. <laughs> We've adopted something that's easier to do because we've found it that it suits the way we work better mm. than the way you're asking us to work. Mm. How I don't know if that's too complex, but could you share like how um, is your company structured? Like how what is your model? I guess the simplest way to describe it is we're like the Hollywood model. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hollywood model uh, is uh, quite a quite a slim but flexible structure. Mm. So you have a core group of producers, people that. Um, understand how to organize and orchestrate the work. Mm-hmm. 
they they then and we then bring in um, essentially teams of experts mm -hmm. to, to produce the various elements that are required along the way. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if we were to run a learning program, we would have a very a core team mm -hmm. who design and orchestrate the program. This might be one or two or three people. And then the trainers, the coaches, the, um, the content experts, the facilitators are brought in um, as required to support and deliver the program. What's very neat is that we may be working with a thousand people mm. on a learning program, everybody getting a very personalized learning experience, a very people-based learning experience, even though it's a digital program. And the core t delivery team the core sort of orchestration team might only be two people, mm. which is a completely different model of, of, you know, how you would deliver a consulting program, how you would deliver a learning program. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Well, wow. I guess we could do a whole podcast just on, you know, how exactly that works. And I think there's so many interesting insights and learnings on that. Thanks for sharing all uh, what you shared with us today as a, as a first thought provoker let's say and um, I would like to finish off uh, with the last question on the future of leadership salon you participated last year and maybe you can share a little bit with it as um, what drew you to the format and, and how did you experience it last year what was it like um, for people that are coming this year or that are interested to participate this year I really enjoyed uh, being at the future leadership salon mm -hmm. last year um, it's a great mix of um, people from a whole range of backgrounds mm. both um, in terms of their work and also geographically mm. um, with a with a common interest in really asking some difficult questions about what is the future of leadership mm. so I found it to be uh, really open and welcoming mm. um, but also thought-provoking and challenging mm. um, uh, and, and a fun experience so yeah I really enjoyed the, um, the format And I really enjoyed the um, the conversations I had with the people I met there. Yeah, great. Well, um, I'm very much looking forward to it. Unfortunately, you won't join this year, but um, thank you for sharing some insights with us. And maybe there will be a little follow-up podcast as well after the Future of Leadership Center. Maybe there will be some questions that we could uh, touch up on again. And uh, yeah, I thank you, first of all, for sharing uh, what you shared with us today, Paul. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Great to talk to you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you are interested to join and further this conversation, join us in Düsseldorf on the 4th of July. I believe that at the moment there are very few tickets left, so head to www.futureofleadership.salon and I will also put this website into the show notes for you. And it would be wonderful to see you there and um, continue this conversation. And as I already mentioned in the beginning, we had quite a few male perspectives on leadership now. And I'm very excited to collect some female leadership positions in person at the Future of Leadership Salon and then sharing them with you in a video and also via podcast. So I'm looking forward to this. Thank you so much for listening. All the best. Girl, Rona. Right